It's great to be in God's house today. It's great to study the Word of God. I invite you to take your Bible and turn to John chapter 10 today. We wrapped on 9 last week after a series of a few messages, and now uh, we move on to Jesus' discourse here in John chapter 10, and we look at this today, what we've sung about today and what we've read in Psalm 23, we see what Jesus says here about the good shepherd in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. Of course, this all relates back to the theme of John, which is that there is life in Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus makes that, again, very clear here through uh, who he claims to be, and of course, as the Son of God, he is these things. Look at John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Therefore, there was a division again among, among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. The door to the sheep, the, the good shepherd, the one sent by God as the deliverer from sin, the Son of God and God himself, the Word incarnate, whom we read today the words of here before us. And we ask that you would use your word in our hearts today, that you would comfort us with these things, you would convict us with these things, you would draw us closer to you, and that above all else, we would see you and you alone 
in these words in this passage today. Help us to respond as you call us to. Lord, we ask that you would help us to see the shepherd who calls to his sheep to follow him into eternal life and to a joyful, abundant life found only in himself. We pray, we pray all of these things in the name of our shepherd, Jesus Christ. Amen. There are certain figures and types that are often near and dear to the hearts of a nation's citizens. In the United States, we certainly have these. In fact, this week on Tuesday, we'll be celebrating our nation's independence. And as we do so, we will most likely in our hearts and minds recall heroes who have charged into the blazing battles of war and stood up against tyranny all while fighting for the cause of freedom. We will celebrate the American spirit, which encourages us to create, to make a name for ourselves, or as the old saying was, be what you want to be. These are the types and figures that have shaped our nation and are still close to the hearts of many in our nation today. And in Israel, in Jesus' day, they had the same types and figures that were near and dear to the hearts of the people. And a most prominent figure in the history of Israel is that of a shepherd. We think about it. We've studied over the last few weeks these um, religious leaders, and the man that they ascribe to, the man that they say, well, this, we are his disciples, his name is Moses, right? They say, we are Moses' disciples. What was Moses doing when God called him to lead his people? He was a shepherd. Or the greatest human king that Israel has ever had, David, a man after God's own heart, he was a shepherd. Time and again, God has called shepherds into his service in the nation of Israel. And time and again, God refers to himself as his people's shepherd. And he is addressed as such. In Psalm 80, verse 1, we read, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. When God makes promises to the nation of Israel regarding her deliverance from her exile, he uses the image of the shepherd once again in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, where he says, He will flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. So time and again, God clearly likens his people to sheep and himself to their shepherd. He has also clearly used shepherds over the years in the lives of his people to do amazing things. Yet, not everyone who was given the reins of leading the nation of Israel was so tender and faithful to the sheep. No, in fact, the shepherds of God's people in Jesus' day were not leading the people to the fountain of life, but instead were burdening the sheep. And Jesus now gives this great discourse on his identity as the good shepherd and what that means for his sheep. And we see also the response of those who are indicted by the words that Jesus speaks here. And what we see in this passage is that because Jesus is the good shepherd, he gives life, he gives his life for the sheep, gives them eternal life, and leads them into a joy-filled relationship with himself. Jesus, as the good shepherd, we see in this passage, and we'll unpack it here in a few minutes, laid down his own life for the sheep. As 
Jesus says, because that's what the good shepherd does. And because he did that, he gives to his sheep, those who belong to his flock, life eternal in the Father's house. And not only that, he fills the lives of those who follow him with joy. You ever heard the old saying, there is joy in serving Jesus, right? That's not just something that pastors came up with so people would come to church happy, okay? It's a real thing. That if we follow Jesus as the shepherd, he fills our lives with joy. He gives life and joy and he gives it abundantly. And we see this as we, as we unfold the passage here in John chapter 10 before us today. In the first six verses of John chapter 10, you see here the good shepherd's identification. And in verses 1 through 3, the first part of verse 3, we see the approaching of the sheep that happens. And as chapter 10 opens, we're faced with this question of timing once again. Because John doesn't say, always give us these neat little, you know, this happened here and here and here. So we have to kind of look at the text and the context and understand when do the things happen that happen sometimes. Well, later in chapter 10, you're going to see that, that some of the events that are mentioned do take place sometime after the ones in chapter 9. But, but even though the topic surrounds the sheep once again, beginning in, in verse 22, it seems that what took place in the first 21 verses really took place following the end of chapter 9. So in chapter 9, you have the man who was born blind that Jesus heals, and we read all of those things that happened to that man, and, and the decision he made to place his faith in Jesus Christ as his Savior, as the Messiah, and that ended chapter 9, that, that, whole, intercourse, that whole discourse between him, Jesus, and this man. As they, as they discussed the things of eternity and those who heard those things and the questions they had regarding that. Then we roll right from that into chapter 10. Because who is standing around? This man, the disciples, the Pharisees, all of those who had questions, right? So Jesus now begins to expound on who these people are and, and that, that have been in charge of the nation and who he is. And so again, Jesus uses here a picture that is very familiar to the Jewish people. Shepherds and sheep were a part of everyday life. Now, we do live in in a little bit of the rural part of our nation. And so you may have an opportunity to see some sheep around. Some of you have some sheep. But typically, we don't drive down the road. You know, especially I, I grew up in Atlanta, okay? There weren't a lot of sheep in Atlanta, okay? But you don't drive down the road and say, oh, look at all those sheep. But, but it was a part of everyday life in the culture of Israel, especially here in Jesus' day, that you would see these shepherds and their sheep. And, of course, shepherding was the profession of more than one of Israel's greatest leaders and patriarchs. So Jesus now shows that he is the good shepherd, the one who was promised by God to come to his people. And at the same time, he's contrasting himself with those who have assumed the spiritual leadership in Israel. And he makes a clear distinction between himself and these other ones who are the false shepherds. Beginning with how he and they approach the sheep. And as you open chapter 10, it opens very negatively. Jesus says here, most assuredly, and again, that, that, past, that, that phrase you're going to see a couple of times, most assuredly, or verily, verily, or truly, truly, Jesus says this is a true statement. You can count on it. 
Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. So Jesus here speaks of those who seek to enter the sheepfold by illegitimate means. And just to make sure we're on the same page, let's talk about what is a sheepfold. Well, a sheepfold would be this, this gate or this, this fenced-in area out in the middle of a field, usually. And it was constructed by the wall around it, made out of rocks, and it would have a door. And so what would happen is this doorway, uh, all the shepherds from the area usually would bring their sheep to this fold, and they would put them into the fold at, at night to protect them. And oftentimes there would be someone who would stay there in the doorway to watch out for, for threats to the sheep and those sorts of things to protect them. And Jesus says here that anyone with a legitimate reason and purpose to be there to work with the sheep, they would approach the sheepfold through the door. But if you were going to climb over the wall, that was communicating one thing about you is you had no business being there. In fact, you were there for nefarious reasons. The one who goes over the wall, Jesus says, intends to harm the flock. He uses two words here. He calls them a thief, which is, if you look at the word and you go back to the Greek text, it communicates one who steals in stealth and without violence. Someone who doesn't want to You know, they just want to get in, get what they're doing, and get out, right? But he also then calls them a robber, one who uses force and doesn't mind hurting other people. These are the words that are described by these people who go over the wall into the sheepfold and not through the door. And they come into the sheepfold to either steal away the sheep or for the purpose of hurting and injuring them. No one who enters the fold outside the prescribed means is up to any good. Jesus quickly contrasts himself with this because the shepherd is not so. He says in verse 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. This one who is the shepherd of the sheep is recognized by the doorkeeper. He is, he is the one who is let in to call out his sheep. And, and here, Jesus presents a picture of his own coming to the nation of Israel. The sheepfold that Jesus talks about here is the nation of Israel. Perhaps more specifically, we could say Judaism. And Jesus, who is the good and true shepherd, came in exactly the way God promised. Think of the ways that God said that the Messiah would come. He was born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, and he carried out the ministry which God prophesied in the Old Testament. Meanwhile, there were others who were assuming the leadership of God's sheep that were going about it the wrong way. And really, the religious culture, the religious leadership culture of the nation of Israel is best described in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34. And so I invite you to keep your finger in John 10 and turn back to the Old Testament, to Ezekiel, chapter 34. I want to look at kind of a a little bit of a lengthier passage here with you as we consider the differences here and what this means. If you can't find Ezekiel, you look for Daniel, you go back one, okay? That's best help I got for you right now, okay? But Ezekiel chapter 34, this is a, 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 what God is talking to his people, but it's also a prophecy of things that are to come. Ezekiel 34 verses 2 through 10, son of man, 
prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth and no one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. And I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep. And the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths. That they may no longer be food for them. This passage describes quite well what is going on in the nation of Israel at Jesus' time. The religious leadership of Israel failed to carry out the mission to shepherd the flock. To take care of them. Instead, they used the laws of God and the things they added on to it to burden the sheep. And more than that, they used the legalistic system of their lives to feed themselves off the flock. To build up their own lives and serve their own ends and means. But Jesus is much, much different. Because he has not come to feed on the flock. He has not come to hurt the flock. He has instead instead come to call his sheep to himself. And we see that when he calls his sheep follow, not only do we see under the good shepherd's identification the way that that the the sheep are approached, we also see Jesus' leading of the sheep. He continues in verse 3, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice, yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Not only does the doorkeeper recognize the shepherd and allow him access to his sheep, but his own sheep recognize who he is. Shepherding, as I said, is not something that's entirely common in our country, but in countries where it is a more common profession, and a very incredible thing has been observed. That what Jesus speaks of here isn't just a figure of speech, but sheep really do recognize their own shepherd, and not just his voice, but even the inflections and the way that he says things to them. Sheep know their shepherd. And they're not just going to go with just anyone, but they're going to follow their own shepherd. And and there's a beautiful picture here of the shepherd's knowledge of a sheep and the sheep's knowledge of their own shepherd. And the shepherd knows the names of all his sheep. And when he comes to them and calls to them, they follow him and he leads them where they need to go. And once again, I think this is a, a, a so different way of our own thinking because when typically we think of sheep, 
we often think of something else that we use quite often in our Western culture, the sheepdog, right? That we, we send the sheepdog out, and he rounds up all the sheep, and he chases them where they go. Jesus isn't the sheepdog. He doesn't bark and corner you. He's the shepherd. He leads. And he shows you where you should go. Jesus leads the sheep out of the fold and into the places where they need to find nourishment. He doesn't drive the sheep. But in love and care and concern, he shows them where to go. He he takes them to the places they need for sustenance. He knows the places they need to avoid because of danger. And therefore, he shows them the way. And he goes before them, calling to them. And what we see here is, is they follow. They do not recognize the voice of strangers, but instead will flee from them because they are trained to the voice of the true shepherd. And so it is, friends, with those who are part of the flock of Jesus Christ. Jesus knows all who belong to him. He knows your needs, your struggles, your strengths, your weaknesses. Jesus calls to those who belong to him, and they follow him. In Israel, Jesus called for people to follow him. We see that in the lives of the disciples. We see that in the things that he has said throughout the book of John, that he calls for people to come to him. And those who responded in faith followed them as, his, as their shepherd because they belonged to his flock. And today it is the same. And we'll see later on in this passage that the, the, the intended expansion of the gospel message. That those who are Christ listen to and follow his voice. They do so in salvation and they continue to do, do so in sanctification. And perhaps here may we answer a question or at least a that sometimes gnaws at our hearts. For surely, more than one of us has known someone in our life who has professed Jesus Christ, but later on in their life has seemed to turn away from everything they've ever known about Jesus. And I'm sure if I asked you this morning, if you know somebody, there's probably, we probably know one, two, three, four of these people in our hearts and lives. And we're sometimes left with this horrible question that we don't know how to answer. Did they lose their salvation, Right? Did they they turn away and now God has cast them out of the kingdom? Well, my friend, the Bible makes it very clear that we can never remove ourselves from God's kingdom and his family. And if you, in your heart, genuinely profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you become his forever. Yet the Bible is also very clear that not everyone who professes Jesus Christ truly believes in him. Jesus is clear about that over and over again. That's between you and God. And who you follow in your life says a lot about where your faith is. If you do not follow the true shepherd, could it be that you do not belong to him? You've never accepted him as your savior. Those who completely and finally turn away from Jesus to follow themselves or to follow another who deny the truth, do not belong to God's flock. And this is not a judgment that someone can make from the outside of of you. They cannot say that this is for sure what you did or you didn't do because that's between you and God. 
At the same time, this is not a decision that someone else can make for you. Well, because so-and-so placed faith in Jesus Christ, I know I'm good too. No, my friend, you have to place personal faith in Jesus Christ. There are those in Jesus' day who were ravaging the flock of Israel. They had not entered through the door, but had gone over the wall. And we see in verse 6, they're very confused by what Jesus says. Jesus begins to expose the false shepherds. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. We're told here in verse 6, we just heard that word, that Jesus is using an illustration. Now, another way to translate that might be an allegory or a figure of speech. And when you go back to that Greek word and you really look at what it means, it really, behind it, speaks of a cryptic saying. That's why I don't know that illustration's the best word because there's, there's a level of, of mystery that's involved here. And Jesus was using a picture of the shepherd and the sheep on purpose because what he was doing was revealing the hearts of those who were gathered around him. When Jesus spoke in pictures, whether it be parables, which are often are similes or metaphors, such as what's before us today, what you find is that Jesus not only reveals the deep truths of God, but he also reveals the hearts of the hearers. And to the one who who had faith in Jesus Christ, to the one who was, was accepting of the message, the deep things of God were often revealed. But to the one who had no interest in the things of God, who was, who was rejecting what Jesus said, that hardened heart was revealed because they didn't understand what was going on. And that's exactly what you have in verse 6. What you have in verse 6 are these religious leaders who are just here at the end of chapter 9 who are talking to Jesus. They're hearing what he is saying, but they're not hearing what he is saying. You understand what I'm saying? They heard the picture. They heard the illustration. They heard the saying, but it's not making any connection. And what they're doing is revealing their own hearts of unbelief. Because those who were gathered around questioning Jesus were hard and dull of heart. And so Jesus continues then revealing more of who he is as the good shepherd. We see in verses 7 through 10 that the good shepherd gives life. And we see, first of all, the shepherd pictured as the door in verses 7 and 8. Then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. So in this verse, we come now to the third of Jesus' I am statements in the Gospel of John. Jesus expands on now and amplifies his picture from the first six verses. That's really what he's doing here. He's he's laid out here in the first few verses the, the description of the good shepherd and what he does, and now he's going to expand and amplify that throughout the rest of the passage. Jesus now says that he is the door to the sheepfold. He is the one who grants entrance. And this time, he speaks of himself as the way out of the sheepfold and into the flock. As the one and only true shepherd, Jesus is the only one who gives entrance into the kingdom of God. There is no one else who can grant this entrance. There is no human leader that you can go to and confess your sin that he may give you entrance into heaven. There is no set of rules that you can keep that someone has written down that will get you into the kingdom of heaven. The only way into the flock of Jesus Christ is through Jesus Christ himself because he is the door. That's what he's saying. 
In fact, Jesus says that all of those who came before him were thieves and robbers. But those who belonged to him then did not hear those ones. It's an interesting statement that Jesus makes here. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. Now, when Jesus speaks of all who came before him, he's speaking of all of those, mostly who are going to be there, right, those religious leaders, who have these wicked, evil intentions. Because if you think back on the history of Israel, you probably think, wow, David, right? A man after God's own heart. Was he, was he a thief and a robber, right? Or Solomon, or Joshua, or Moses. This is not who Jesus is referring to here. He's not speaking of those who led the nation of Israel in a godly way because no godly leader of God's people ever claimed to be the promised shepherd of Israel or hold himself up as one. But these religious leaders, they held themselves up as the standard, right? This is who is right with God. This is who God accepts. And Jesus says, no, you're a thief and a robber. These godly leaders had pointed ahead to the coming shepherd in Jesus Christ. Instead, the religious leaders in Jesus' day and in times past were substituting their traditions for the law of God and building themselves up, degrading the one and only true God. That is who Jesus is referring to here. They were not the door. They would not lead the sheep to the places of goodness and rest But by contrast, we see the intentions of Jesus. In verses 9 and 10, you see the intentions of the good shepherd. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Those who are not God's leaders have horribly ill intentions. They want to make a name for themselves. They want to feed off the sheep. And all the while, they claim to do the work of God. You know, just this week, my wife and I were driving somewhere the other day, and we were having this conversation about those who use the Word of God to promote their own agendas and twist the Scriptures. Understand, folks, God always judges sin. Amen? We have to understand that. But God also makes it very clear in his word that those who use his word to serve their own ends and twist it to their own means face a greater judgment. So when you look around in this world that's pretty messed up, and you see people who are claiming to do the work of God and using some twisted Bible verse or no verses at all, to say this is what God stands for, understand, God will take care of that. You keep following the truth. You keep standing up for what is right. And Jesus says here that these who are claiming to do the work of God, they're feeding off the sheep, but that is not true of the good shepherd because while thieves came to destroy, Jesus came, he says, to save. His sheep will come and go freely, always having access to his goodness. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you have access to God the Father through him. You understand that? You can come and go. That's why you don't need to be in a certain place to pray to God. You don't need to say certain words. Why? Because you belong to God. 
He feeds his sheep with his word. He grows his sheep in himself. He tends to their spiritual well-being, giving them life. And not just any life. But did you catch the word that Jesus uses here at the end of verse 10? He speaks of abundant life. Because that word, at the end of verse 10, abundantly, describes something that is excessive and far beyond that which is necessary. You could probably, in your life, think of some displays of something that you might call excessive, right? You, in the middle of football season, drive down the road, and you look up and you see this house, and it's decked out in maize and blue, or green and white, okay? Some of you, I get it. I got to help both sides here, okay? Where I'm from, you know, we'd rather cheer for Georgia Tech, but, you know. And you think, wow, that's excessive, right? There is, there is an abundance of that, right? We were driving the other day in Midland, and we're going down the road, and we, we pulled up by this house, and there were nine inflatable, um, who's the American dude? Uncle Sam's riding rockets, okay? I mean, just, just nine of them. I think they found them on Home Depot sale last year or something. I'm like, that's kind of excessive, right? I mean, we get it, right? You want to blow stuff up, okay? Jesus says that what he gives is abundant life. Whatever you think eternal life is like, the reality of it found in Jesus exceeds that. Whatever you think peace with God is like in salvation, the reality is far greater than you can imagine. Whatever you think you need, Jesus gives far greater gifts in himself. He gives life, and he gives it abundantly. The good shepherd gives exactly what is needed and more to his sheep. Life in the flock of the good shepherd is greater than words can describe. This is the truth of abundant life in Jesus. And if Jesus is your Savior, he is your shepherd. And he didn't call you to his flock so that you would live in the sheepfold. He calls you to feed on his word and find joy in himself. You see, what Jesus is saying there is he came to the sheepfold to call his sheep and gives access to himself as the door so that you may leave the sheepfold and go to the pastures and find life abundantly. My friend, nobody ever found life in the sheepfold, right? They found it by leaving and following the shepherd through the door. He is the source of abundant eternal life and the source of an abundantly joyful life in himself. And then as he continues in verses 11 through 18, we see now the good shepherd's love for the sheep. Verses 11 through 13, we see the sacrifice that the shepherd makes for his sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Now in the same discourse, we have the fourth I am statement that Jesus makes in the gospel of John here because here he says, I am the good 
shepherd. I am the one who is promised by God to come. I am the one described in the opening lines of this discourse in verses 2 through 5. He says that he is the perfect, authentic shepherd of noble character, and he is in a preeminent class all his own. And as the good shepherd, Jesus describes here what he does for the sheep. The good shepherd doesn't just care for the sheep. The good shepherd doesn't just say he loves the sheep. The good shepherd proves his love by his actions. Now again, I get it. We look at these pictures of shepherds, especially like when we talk about, you have this little picture of the, you might have a verse, right? It says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall know one. You have this picture of someone who, by the way, never looks anything like Jesus would have looked because he's, apparently he was a 33-year-old American man, right? You understand Jesus wasn't American, right? Okay. And he's, what is he doing? He's holding a, a sheep, right? Oh, that's so nice, right? Shepherding is not for cowards, right? Shepherding is not, is, is not for those who, who just, oh, I like fluffy sheep. Because what Jesus describes here that he does for the sheep takes courage. It takes real love. It takes sacrifice. Because what Jesus says here is that the good shepherd gives, or is more accurately translated here, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And this phrase that John uses here, he says, gives his life or really lays down his life for the sheep, that is a unique phrase to John, and what it indicates is a voluntary action of sacrificial death. That's what he's saying here. And this picture is held in sharp contrast to someone who's hired to take care of the sheep. So let's say the shepherd, we're not talking about the good shepherd, we're talking about a shepherd now, had to go somewhere. And so he hired someone to look after his sheep. The one who is hired to help is not the shepherd. Therefore, he does not have the heart of the shepherd. And when he sees danger approaching, Jesus says he doesn't hang around because no job is worth losing your life over. Those those 50 shekels an hour, it's probably way too much, those one shekel an hour, it's not worth going up against that wolf. So what does Jesus say the hireling does when he sees the danger? He flees. This is because he does not love the sheep, but he loves himself. The religious leaders of Jesus' day are now being compared to the hirelings. They were mercenaries doing the work of God, not out of love for the souls of God's people, but out of their own greed and self-righteousness. They would not protect God's people. Jesus, on the other hand, will not only protect his sheep, but he will instead give his life for theirs. He will make the atoning sacrifice necessary to save his sheep from mortal danger. And this is where the picture of the shepherd goes even farther, of the good shepherd goes even farther beyond that of a shepherd. Because wouldn't you stand to reason? That there is going to come a point, if you're a human shepherd, if you're going up against something, you're probably at some point going to cut your losses and say, look, i got to live and fight another day for the rest of the sheep. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus gave his life for the sheep. He laid down his very life. And this is what Jesus says here. 
that he sacrifices as the good shepherd for his sheep. This is the picture of true love. And in that love, Jesus then reiterates the knowledge that he has of his sheep. Verses 14 and 15, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. When Jesus speaks here of knowing the sheep, this word means a personal, intimate knowledge of someone through personal experience. Jesus is God, our creator. And as such, he knows us better than anyone else. In fact, he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows all who belong to his flock and in the love he has for us, that he proves by laying down his life for us, he also knows us. And in turn, Jesus says, those who belong to him know him as well. The more time you spend with the shepherd, or you know him. Because if the word truly communicates here, and it does, experiential knowledge, somebody that you know very intimately because of the time you have spent together, then the only way to get to know the shepherd is to spend time with him. It's to open the word of God for yourself. To meditate on what it says. To pray to God. And in knowing Jesus, you know God. Because Jesus says, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. As his sheep, we can know him in a deeper way as that relationship continues to grow. The story is told of a pastor who had a daughter. And as the daughter grew up, got older, she moved off. They were from a a rural community somewhere. She always wanted to live the life of Hollywood. So she moved out and became an actress and got some roles and different things. And she invited her dad to come out to a party that was going on and to experience it firsthand. So he came out to spend time with his daughter, and they went to this party. And while they were at this party, there was a a well-known actor who was there. And they said, hey, you know, we should make this pastor feel a little more comfortable here. We'd like you to get up and recite the the 23rd Psalm. So this actor got up, and he recited the psalm that we read this morning, right? And he he used all sorts of inflection and and these different things he had learned as an actor. And everybody got done, and, and he got done, and everybody clapped, Somebody said, let's have the pastor get up and say the psalm. I mean, he knows it. The pastor got up and began to recite the psalm. And as he began to speak of the Lord as his shepherd, an interesting thing began to happen. People around the room began to to cry and weep. At the end of that, that psalm, when the pastor finished, not a dry eye was in the place. Somebody looked at the actor and said, what, what happened? I mean, when you got done, everybody clapped. And when he got done, everybody was crying. He said, my friend, it's, very quite, it's really quite simple. I know the song, but he knows the shepherd. There's a difference. There's a difference between knowing things about God and knowing God. There's a difference between knowing that Jesus is your shepherd and actually knowing him as your shepherd. And we see that the Father 
has an ongoing eternal purpose for the sheep in the flock of God, in the flock of Jesus in verses 16 through 18. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them I also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. God's purpose in sending Jesus was not just to redeem those who are from Israel. Now, Jesus went into Israel first. Because this was the nation through which he came. This was the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that in you all nations of the earth will be blessed. But Israel was not the end. He was sent to redeem the Gentiles as well. And for that, everybody in this room should say amen. Because as far as I know, there's not many Israelites sitting in this room. And this was a revolutionary idea in Jesus' day. Jesus is talking about here in this verse of Jews and Gentiles united in one flock. And this is is precisely why Jesus came. He came to redeem those from every tribe and tongue. He came to show that God has boundless compassion for all. The church that was established by Jesus is the flock of which he speaks. All those who place faith in Jesus Christ belong to the same shepherd. This is guaranteed through Jesus' finished work. Because the cross was not the end of the road. Jesus here goes back to this picture of laying down his life for the sheep. And he also says here there's more to the story. You realize that in verses 17 and 18 of John chapter 10, no one else can make the claims that Jesus makes here. He has the power to lay down his own life, and he has the power to take it up again. That's real power. That's real authority. That's truly only a work of God. Because Jesus is doing the work of the Father, and because Jesus is God, he has all power and all authority to lay down his life and take it up again. And because of his love and obedience to the Father, carrying out the perfect plan of salvation, Jesus shows by that his deity and his lordship. The Father's purpose for the sheep is that all those who trust in Jesus will be made alive in the resurrection of his Son. In Jesus, we have eternal life. In Jesus, we have eternal hope. In Jesus, we have eternal unity. And as you might expect, all these things that Jesus says here stir those who heard them that day. And the last thing we see today in verses 19 through 21 is we see the reaction to the good shepherd. Therefore, There was a division, again, among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? In verses 19 through 20, you see the rejection here of Jesus. Because Jesus' claims about his being the good shepherd and his words about his ability to take back his life, they bring division among the people who are there. 
Some of them conclude Jesus is under the influence of an outside evil force, and thus he is speaking madness. Because how could one speak of coming back to life? Now, taking one's life is not unheard of. Now, it is certainly not something to be embraced. And that's just, this is what they're talking about here. That, that, I mean, you've, you've heard of that, right? But if Jesus' intention was to take his own life, why would he speak of coming back to life if that was something that was even possible? This is the reasoning behind the statements they're making in verses 19 and 20. To them, the only deduction is this. Jesus is either possessed by a demon or under, under some type of other influence like this. Therefore, it leads him to make these statements and believe these things about himself. They are once again dismissing Jesus' words and actions. And by chalking this up to the work of a demon, the people could dismiss their feelings of conviction in their heart. Cover-up is often a means to deal with conviction. And when God begins to work on your heart and life to show you your sin and the need of the Savior or to show you your sin and the things that you need to change as a Christian, we begin to try to pile things on top of our lives so that God won't convict us of our sin. I mean, just read the book of Jonah and see what Jonah did when God called him and he knew he had done wrong, right? He decided to go the other way, cover everything up. The only proper response to conviction is to humble ourselves before God. And we see that not everyone is convinced that they should be rejecting Jesus Christ. And in verse 21, you see the curiosity of others. Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? There are others who are not so convinced that Jesus is possessed and thus speaking madness. Some of them are are curious about Jesus. He has done a miraculous thing recently. You see here the reference in verse 21 to someone opening the eyes of the blind. This is a direct reference of just what has just happened in chapter 9. This is why you see this flows right into that. We we still remember what's just gone on here. Can a demon really do this sort of thing? It doesn't mesh with the claim that he's demon-possessed, and they begin to question and, and wonder about Jesus. Now, you'll notice in verse 20 that the group that doesn't believe in Jesus is described as the many. Many are those who do not believe in Jesus. Many are those who reject him. But take courage Because there are always the few. There are those who, if they continue to listen to Jesus and eventually emplace their faith in him, they will be part of his flock. The good shepherd calls to his sheep, looking for their faith in him. Because Jesus is the good shepherd, he gives his life for the sheep. He gives to them eternal life and leads them into a joy-filled relationship with himself. As the good shepherd, Jesus gave his life for the sheep, and he gives his life now to the sheep. His love brought him down from glory to this earth in order to live and die for his creation. He laid down his life for his sheep. We're going to eventually get further along here in the book of John, and we'll see the death of Jesus Christ. But remember this, friend, 
No one took Jesus' life from him. He gave it willingly. And as God, he claimed it once again. Jesus now stands as the door. He is the one who gives access to eternal life. And he not only offers life, but he offers life abundantly. No matter how sinful you feel you are, Jesus paid the price. No matter how guilty your soul may feel, Jesus is greater than that. He has come to give you life in himself and he gives you the freedom to enjoy that life in him. Those who belong to Jesus know him. So if you sit here today and you claim Jesus Christ as your Savior, I have a question for you. How well do you know your God? How well do you know the shepherd? If you never spend any time with God, how can you ever hope to know him? And may I just say very candidly that if your answer is, well, I go to church X amount of times a week, you don't know the shepherd. Not because we're not preaching the word of God here, okay? I hope that when you come and you hear the messages preached here at this church, your soul is fed. That's my, that's my calling as a pastor, as your pastor, to feed you from the word of God. But you cannot know the shepherd on a personal basis by simply coming to church X amount of times a week. You have to spend time with the shepherd. You have to read his word, to meditate in it, spend time in prayer with him. And if, if that's something you don't know how to do, you can find help to learn how to do that. If you will spend no time with God, do not wonder why you struggle to live for him or wonder why you can never gain God's wisdom in your life. You don't know him. How can you expect to live for him? Those who know him then will naturally live for him. If we follow him and his word, he will show us how he wants us to live. Jesus has a way he expects disciples to live, and he has placed a calling in the lives of his disciples. So let us find life in him and live that life for him and through him. Father, we thank you for your word and its power to change our lives. We thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the good shepherd. He is the one who gave himself willingly for our, on our behalf, that he may call his sheep into his flock. Lord, he is the door who gives us access to eternity and gives us a joyful relationship with our God. Thank you. Lord, we pray today that you would help us to know the shepherd. You would draw us closer to yourself, to the one who you continue to call. They have not responded to you, Lord, I pray that you would call yet again and convict them of their sin. May they respond to you. You give them the grace in their life to see it. The humility they need to accept it. 
We give you the praise and the glory for that. Lord, there are others here today who have professed you as Savior, who belong to that flock. Lord, would you burden our hearts to know you more? Would you allow us never to grow content in how much we want to know about you and how close we want to be to you? Would you lead us in whatever way is necessary to feed us, to mold us, and make us into the image of Jesus Christ? Would you give us the humility of our own hearts to respond to conviction, to obey the Spirit? We ask as we prepare to go from this place, that you would continue to use your word in our hearts today and bring us back to worship you tonight. In your name we pray, amen.